Dit is Paprika. Hello and welcome to this exciting Green Tech podcast happening at the fifth Green Tech here in Amsterdam. And this podcast is hosted by Horty Media. And we're so excited to be here today. Today we're going to be speaking all about plant health. Obviously, a very important topic for horticulture. We've got two incredible guests here to dive into that topic with me. I'm Henry Gordon Smith, your host today, and we're really glad that you're listening in to this podcast coming at you from Green Tech in Amsterdam. So let's begin with Eric Hager from Novacrop. Eric, how are you doing? Good, thank you. How nice are you? to meet you. Good, good, thank you. Could you just give us a brief introduction? Yes, I'm uh, Eric Hager of uh, Novacrop Control, one of the consultants from this company, and uh, we are company uh, analyzing uh, plant sap and uh, water samples on nutrition. So testing uh, plant sap on 21 different uh, uh, nutrition elements. Exciting. So really knowing all, what's going on inside yeah, of the plant. Yeah, get an insight in what's happening okay. in the plant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The other day I saw my first sap flow monitor. So I'm all excited right. we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, but next up, we've got Mark van der Werf, and he's a consultant at Power to Plants. Mark, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks. Yeah, are you enjoying the show? Yeah, it's great to be here. Great at Green Tech again after two years. It's, it's pretty uh, incredible. It's it's so big and, you know, there's so many booths and there's so many people here. Yeah, it's really crowded. Yeah, it's at really crowded. At 11 o'clock, it was crowded directly, yeah. So, you know, you're a consultant uh, for plant health and plant empowerment. Just give us the basics, you know, what is plant health? Uh, I think plant health, the way we are looking at it in the past is most of the times we put a plant in the substrate or in the soil and we wait for a problem where an insect or a fungi or a bacteria and then we try to kill that problem. And I think we have to go one step back and look at the composition of the plant itself so that that insect or that fungi or that bacteria doesn't get a, a chance on the plant. So before we just sort of put things in there and hope for the best, but it's almost too late, right? Because we see that something goes wrong and the issue probably already happened a long time ago, right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. If you look at uh, our problem starts, most of the times we need three things. We need the pest or the disease to be present. We need the right circumstances and we need a susceptible host. And I think we forgot a little bit in the past about the susceptible host. So we're not looking at that anymore. We're only trying to get rid of our problem, but we're not actually solving the problem. And that is an attractive plant for that insect or pathogen. Okay, so I want to go over you to, to you, Eric. So I've, I've got my plant. How do I know what's going on with the plant before those problems arise? Now, eventually you have like a, a optimum balance in the plant on, on nutrition, on hormones and on vitamins and, and everything has to work together in the plant. And basically getting more insight in the plant, so knowing how the calcium uptake is, how the nitrogen uptake is, will eventually give you information about the health of the plant and how to steer with your nutrition or with your climate conditions to get that all in a better balance. But how can, I, how can I know? You talked about the introduction a little bit about sap flow. Can we talk about that? Because I think that is yes. a really interesting way to know what's happening with the plant. But break it down for us. How does that equipment or that technology tell us what's going on? Now, basically, um, it, it's based on a lot of measurements. So say, uh, take a tomato plant. And we have over thousands of measurements. So we just know exactly 
okay, that plant needs a certain amount of calcium and needs a certain amount of magnesium and for all those different elements. And you know that if one of them is not in a good balance, it's going to affect the health of the plant. So eventually, by doing such a test, you're going to get insight in how that balance is and how you're going to steer on that. So if you see your calcium is too low, you know you have to do something about that element. And having even more insight on other, other elements, it will help with yeah, finding that optimum balance back. And so that's, sorry, I'm stuck on the sap flow. I think it's interesting, but that tells us it's a signal to us, right? Like it's, it's yeah. telling us if that calcium or if, if, if some of the parameters for growth are there or not. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. It's, it's almost like you're doing a blood sample. When, right. when you're feeling ill, you go to the doctor. Yes. And the first thing they do is they take a blood sample. And I think that's what Nova Crop Control is doing with the plant sap analysis. It's like taking a blood sample, but then from plants. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a preventative measure. I mean, this is actually a topic that's actually pretty close to me because um, my company, Agritecture, working with hops in the Czech Republic right now, and we have a sap flow monitor and a diameter measure there too. But we also are using um, cameras to take pictures of the hops as they grow so we can see from the outside what's happening. Yeah. Uh, what's your opinion of machine vision for looking at plants and, and measuring plant health? It, it's all going to help. The, the more measurements you have, more the, more it's gonna, yeah, the more information you have from, from the crop, the more it's going to help you to make the right decision on uh, getting that plant in a good shape. Yeah, because it's, it, I think it's all, because, it's all about how is the plant performing and every moment you are creating stress, it's too much temperature or too much salt or rain or hail, whatever, that's every time that's a moment for a pest or a disease where it has the chance to show up. So if we can limit the amount of stress moments, at the end that will bring the plants to a higher plant health level. Okay, so what are the what are the results? You know, like this is a bit theoretical, right? But I want to know what's really happening, either with your clients or with customers of your technology. Uh, do you have any examples of, of of a farmer that's you know really focused on plant health and technologies to measure that, and, and what kind of success are they seeing? Um, if we look in our way, if we look to plant sap measurements, um, you get those elements. You know which elements are low, and you're going to look. Yeah, what can I do to get those levels in, in the actual target value? So we have for every element, we have our target values. And you know, okay, if this element is too low, and you're gonna think about, okay, why is it too low? Is it because it's not enough available in the soil? Is it because of the conditions around the plant? Or something else limiting the uptake? Because there are always interactions between the elements. So like the cations fighting with each other for, for, for the uptake and, and preventing another element uh, with a good uptake. So if you see that your potassium, for example, is very high in the plant and your calcium is very low, you might have to focus more on the potassium being too high and blocking the calcium than the other way around. You see that your calcium is too low or you have a calcium deficiency and you focus on bringing more calcium to the plants. I mean, I'm totally there with you, right? Theoretically, right? More data equals more knowledge that I can act on and improve. But again, we're, we're talking about farmers, right? A lot of them have been doing this a certain way for a long time, right? And, and they may be used to that way. I, I'm really talking about this because I interact with these other farmers as well with the hop production, and they're very skeptical of new technology, right? And, and some other way of doing things. They mostly trust what they've done before or what their neighbor's done. So I, I, I want to try and get into like what, what really is, is, is the improvement for them? Because I think the argument of, 
look, more data is going to help you perform better is a nice story, but I don't know if that drives sales of technology. I don't know if that's going to get everybody on board, all these farmers on board. So what else, what else can we tell them? How else can we talk to them about this? Are there results that we can yeah. quote? Yeah, I think, I think if you look at, for example, insects, we know that there is a direct link uh, link between the, the composition of the plant if you look at amino acids and proteins and how good a, a white fly or a trips or a spider mite can uh, multiply on the plant. So the, the tastier the plant for the insect, the quicker you have the next generation and the next generation. And I think one of the things that we see at the moment in practice uh, is that we are oversupplying the amount of nitrate to plants. We are basically using nitrate as the balancing factor in our fertilizer schedules. Mm -hmm. So I think in general you can say that we use two to three times too much nitrate. Now, like Eric already mentioned, uh, nitrate is antagonizing with, for example, sulfates and phosphates, but also it's, it's like blowing up the plant a little bit. And if you, if you look then at the composition, and it's, and it's a quite theoretical story again, but uh, nitrates are needed to make amino acids, and amino acids are going to turn into proteins. And proteins is how plants can defend themselves. But if you have an oversupply of nitrate and a lack of sulfate, because they are antagonizing each other, you see that the composition of proteins stops, mm. so the plant is full of amino acids, and aphids, for example, they really love that. They need the high amounts of amino acids to multiply very fast. And I think what you see a lot in practice is that with, with beneficial insects and, and other techniques, we can slow down the population, but sometimes, there is a moment that, that the pest suddenly explodes, and that's when it goes wrong in the composition, and then uh, yeah, you're forced to use chemicals, and that's what we want to stop. So if we can slow down the attractiveness of the plant and then slow down the population buildup of an insect, we can have a major impact on the use of pesticides, for example. And that's eventually going to help the growers, but using all those methods to get more insight in the plant, because you're going to see how high your nitrate levels are. Yeah. And if you see that's building up, or you have to make the decision if you for doing an application of nitrate, you're just going to see in the results, yeah, my nitrate is already high, so I don't have to bring more nitrate. So it's not only, not only good for the health of the plant, but also to cut down on fertilizers, because that's what Mark says, it's, we're still using way too much fertilizers on our crops, so and that we can cut down. And it's quite scary for a grower. If you tell a grower you have to reduce 50%, but the advantage of the plant sap analysis is that we can, every week we monitor the composition of the plant, so we know when we are going too low and it maybe is going to cause production. So we want to stay away from the, the danger zone, but not too much above it. That's a little bit the game you're playing. Yeah, I think those uh, benefits of using less fertilizer and then avoiding or using much less pesticides, you know, that's the argument that you need to make, right? Because that's, yeah. that's the bottom line for the growers as well. And I think that they want to use less pesticides yep. and, and overall less inputs. It reminds me again of, I, of IoT, right? There's, there's um, in, in vineyard crops, uh, you can sort of install weather stations and the weather stations will tell you what are the typical parameters for certain pests. So you know when to spray, so you're not just spraying every week just in case, right? Yep. But you're actually yep. using data to determine the spraying as well. So there's environmental conditions as well as what's happening with the plant. So what about Dutch growers? I mean, what's their receptiveness to this emphasis on plant health and, and sort of the case that you both are making to use technology 
to really understand what's happening with the plan to reduce those inputs, whatever they are. I think that there's also another thing what, what's getting more an issue is, is the knowledge the, the growers have. So we're getting more new and new, or we're getting, we have a lot of greenhouses, but we don't have enough growers anymore. Growers getting outside of Europe, because everybody over the world, we're getting more uh, well, going to the, the Middle East and the U.S. To yeah, work in exactly. The yeah, VC-funded farms, right? Eventually, <laughs> eventually, it is like that. So yeah. you, we, um, and most of that, we're not. Le yeah, exactly. I just had to try the button. Yeah, you had to try it because <laughs> the first one's the scary one, right? Now it's like open. <laughs> no, that's, it's it's true, but it's it's also for because knowledge is knowledge is getting outside of the country. Um, yeah, we try to find different ways to get more insight in the plan so that we don't need those growers with the green hands anymore. I think that's also an issue why growers want to get more information about their crop. So, well, very interesting. So, less growers in general, but a lot of new, younger growers, and those growers have less overall experience. Maybe they're not part of the typical, like, legacy of family farms. They want to get into it, it's a hot topic right now, but they must be more open to the technology, no? Than, than the yeah, other if, ones. If I just look to myself, my father was a tomato grower, but he started with, what shall it be? It was just two hectares. Now there's nobody growing uh, tomatoes on two hectares anymore. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, so you need more different growers on, on one same company. Mm. So the, the owner is mostly, or in some cases, not the grower anymore. So. Uh, you need that knowledge to get more, yeah, that, that's easier to steer your, your own company or uh, to steer your plants. What about you, Mark? What's your responsiveness from the farmers? Now, yeah, what, what you see, first of all, it's, it's quite scary. Um, you the problems see, they're facing are... Yeah, you see, you see at the moment, you see uh, chemicals disappearing, you see supermarkets uh, raising their, their bars on, 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 on residues of chemicals. So they are getting some issues that they cannot solve anymore the way they were used to. So right. they, they have to change their way of, of thinking and, and their mind. Um, but at the same time, there is quite a lot of scientific data that is supporting this whole theory, let's say, story. So, so I think we are just at the beginning of, of understanding how plants are really functioning. And sometimes we probably say that in the last 50 or 75 years, we made huge steps. But sometimes maybe we, the step was a little bit too big and we don't look at nature, how it was all designed. And I think sometimes it's good to look, look outside again and how is it happening uh, in real life when there are no fertilizers and there is no climate computer. Hmm. Also, those plants are surviving one way or another. Yeah, they were sort of figuring it out. But yeah, and they have help. Eh? Plants, uh, it's, it's always an, a nice example. Plants cannot run away if the weather is bad or they are attacked. So they, they have allies and most of the time that's, that's microbes uh, in the soil and also inside the plants and on the leaves. And when that symbiosis is really working, they can stand a lot. Yeah. Well, that's the case for biodiversity. I mean, do you think there's a, a role for just more biodiversity in agriculture or even in greenhouses? Would it make a difference? No, yeah, what, what you see with the, with the, 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 the comings of, uh, of substrates and, and fertilizers, yeah. you see that the, bi the biodiversity is going down. And yeah. that's not always good. No, I mean, the risk goes up. So yeah. right, if something gets in there, you could lose. It goes really whole. fast. Yep. Yeah. So what about uh, vertical farming, right? This is a hot, sexy topic um, in the, sec the sector of horticulture. But um, <laughs> so sorry, I have, I have to push the button. But, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, what do you guys think about that and, and its relationship to plant health? You know, is there, because I feel like you've got even more control and more observation and more technology in vertical farms. Do you see that as a, 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 an exciting, positive future for more focus on plant health? Or do you, do you have a different take? Yeah, I'm, I'm still a little bit in doubt which, which way we directly have to go. Because if you start growing plants in a, in a flat with only in the water, that's not how it was designed originally. So I'm not saying it's, it's the way to go, but at the same time, we also have to look how plants are really functioning. And that's not with their roots in the water. Let's say most plants are not designed to do that. So probably with new genetics, with other ways of protecting them, uh, in a lot of crops, like, like the small lettuce and, and those crops, it's working. But if you go to tomatoes, cucumbers, the, the high wire crops, I'm wondering how are we going to do that in a vertical farm? Mm. Yeah, and, I and, have the same opinion. Yeah. I think it's, it's more far away from uh, nature. So in one way it will work, but on the other side, I don't know if that's going to be the real future. Um, I still would like to see the plants just growing in, in the soil or and, and, and I'm not sure if, it's, if that's going to be best for the health of the plant growing in a vertical farm. Very, very interesting to hear these perspectives. I, I, I'd, li I'd like to add yeah. one other item, because if you look, I think what happened the last half year with energy prices, yeah. if you look at vertical farming, we are not using the sun anymore. Mm -hmm. And at the, at the basics of, of the functioning of a plant is photosynthesis, so you need light. And, and the sun is still the strongest source of light if you look at how we grow most crops. And now suddenly we are changing the, the sun for light. And I think with the current energy prices, I'm not sure if that's uh, a good idea. Yeah, there's some that argue you know, vertical farms are more electric, right, versus gas-powered. So some that argue that you know it's it, almost there should be more vertical farms. I've I've heard that argument, right, because those could be hooked up to renewables in a way where greenhouses are dependent upon gases. Um, that's 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 an argument that I've heard. I'm not saying I agree, but Eric, I want to go back to you. What you said, right, because you talked about natural, right, what what the plants need, which is very interesting because. You know, greenhouses are still engineering environments for that, right? So, yeah. you know, you're, you're saying we should go back to soil and nature, or is there just a limit to the amount of technology you're yeah, okay with? I think there's always a limit, and um, growing in a greenhouse is also okay. Uh, it, will, it will be the same. Eventually, uh, how much different elements do we have on the world, and how much does a plant need for of all those different elements? Are we focused on just 20 of them? Um, and so maybe there are more possibilities to, to get that plant in a better shape. And uh, of course, in the soil, you will, fi will find more of that than in the substrate. Mm. Um, so eventually, um, yeah, in the soil, eventually it's still best. Yeah, it's still best. There's going to be micronutrients that we don't really even fully understand the benefits of that, but that complexity, you know. Yeah. Flavor, quality. I, yeah. I think at the end, uh, we will end up, and, and that's what I also see a lot in practice at the moment, you're going to try to make the combination of the two good worlds. So I think we should not uh, completely stop with fertilizers, for example. And, and I, I think growing in substrate brought us a lot of good things. But you can also uh, still grow in substrate, reduce your fertilizer inputs, use a little bit of organic fertilizers and biostimulants, try to bring the microbes back. That's mm. now, what I'm doing in my daily business. 
and you see quite some nice results from that. And it's still a long way to go. We're, we, we haven't figured it out completely, but I think if we can make the right combinations from the two worlds, also combined with maybe artificial light and, and, and climate control installations, uh, but we have to con constantly we have to look at the plant, and the plant is the center, and that's where it's happening. So if we keep focusing on the plant and listening to the plant, how difficult that is, I think that will give us the best results at the end. Well, I'm a fan of your uh, description of the hybrid approach, right, yeah. and embracing that. I think there could be a lot more openness to that. And, and hopefully with these sort of new farmers, right, which we are seeing a, a bit of a renaissance in agriculture, which is uh, refreshing and, and potentially our, our last chance to sustainably feed the world, right? Yeah. So I think a lot about those new farmers and, and how to help them be successful. So what's some of your advice to new farmers getting started? How can they think about plant health from day one, even in the planning stages, even before they really start operating? We are going to green out. If you're young, if, if you want to be get, a grower, get experience, get first. experience. Eventually, you cannot even learn if you've our, raised the money. Even if you're just get the experience, you, you first. cannot you cannot learn at school how a plant grows. Yeah. you have to see it, you have to feel it, and right. eventually that's the best way. So start with working when you're young already in in a greenhouse or uh, in an open field. Doesn't matter, but right. getting getting experience with with how the crop looks like and, yeah. and how it grows. When it looks, that, yeah. when it's have, as a disease. How it reacts right? on the yeah. weather and all the different conditions. Right. That's important. And transplanting in various stages, yeah. What, That's what the most important with? knowledge. And you're not going to learn that in, in a week or a month or a year. It yeah. takes a long time before you know how a plant works. Definitely, that's a great tip. Get the experience first. What about you? Any tips? No, I think, I think we also have to look at our complete system, how we educate people at the moment, what, what kind of stories are we telling. Um, I think in the last 50 years, uh, I think we are a little bit over-exaggerated that we know exactly how plants are functioning. Mm. And if I look back at my own uh, school career, let's say, uh, I, I learned everything about uh, fertilizers, but I didn't learn a lot about microbes and their cooperation with plants and and how plants are exactly functioning and what is the composition of the plants. We only learned about the function of potassium and, 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 and nitrates, for example, but not about amino acids and vitamins and secondary metabolites. So I think we also have to do some rethinking on how we are educating our future future growers. Because it's it's most of it is is good, but some areas we are missing something. Sounds like there's some gaps there yeah. in, in, in the content and what needs to be learned. The experience point is fantastic, but also it sounds like there's some humility, right? We just don't understand plants fully yet. Yeah, for sure. We're, we're on an ongoing journey as humanity to learn how to cultivate them and, and maximize their value without extracting too much from the environment that they exist in. So humility around that is good. And I guess you don't see that so much in the vertical farming sector where it's like, uh, we're just going to sort of engineer our way yeah. through this, yes. right? Like engineer what the plant needs as opposed to, yeah, that's interesting. But Some, I think that's shifting a little bit now. Sometimes it can really help to just step outside and, and walk around in the forest and mm. then wondering, how is it possible that this is all here? Right. Without nutrition, without irrigation, with yeah. rain and hail and storm and frost, They're every year and that they are surviving. There, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think we have to copy that a little bit into our, and then add some good things so mm. that we can make the production and we can feed the world. But 
We need a little bit of both worlds. So, you know, you, you talked about, we talked about biodiversity, we've talked a lot about outdoor production, right? But even these things you mentioned, right? The forests that you would go nearby. I studied in Canada for my undergraduate degree and, you know, huge amounts of forests. And because of climate change and temperature shifts, there's this beetle that's going inside and destroying, I mean, unbelievable amounts of forests. So, you know, in the face of climate change, is it realistic for us to think about outdoor production or have we already sort of passed the point where you have to just focus on indoor production, greenhouses, some kind of protected environments? I mean, can we really, you know, depend on, on the status quo of nature? No. Yeah, I think one of Big the... Big question. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the good things about indoor uh, <laughs> production, and then we don't... Uh, indoors, you can also have birds in the greenhouse, so <laughs> th that, that should not be an issue. Uh, of course, it's, it's all about how, how good can you optimize the circumstances right. for a plant. And I think in a greenhouse, you're much more in control than outside. Definitely. You can take care of temperature, light, uh, right. you can grow year But round. we're losing some of those like inherent benefits of biodiversity and you know circularity. So there's a trade-off with that control, which I think is yeah. such an interesting discussion, right? But at the same time, in a greenhouse, you can also bring diversity because you can bring in the microbes, you can stimulate mm. the plants at the right moment. So it's not that inside we cannot do that. I think there is a lot of options that we right. can bring on in those good factors also in an indoor situation. Mm. Yeah, so and, still, and still it can be no, it's normal that a plant gets sick, sick yeah. once in a while. Right. That's the same for us. We get the flu also once or twice a year. Yeah. And that's for a plant the same. We, cannot, we can do everything perfect, mm. but we don't have everything in our hand. Would you it install a SAP flow monitor on yourself so you know what's going on? Uh, I, I would like to, would it be interesting? Per permanently yeah, now, right? Uh, yeah. You're a fan I'm, of like the... I'm a fan of that. The, the tracking, the IoT. I did something. I don't I, see I, an I, Apple I, I Watch or anything. No, yeah. no, no, that's You're true. You're not tracking your heartbeat. You know, you need I did such a test a for on blood. It, it's possible to do. I did that. That's okay. very interesting. Yeah, this idea of personalized nutrition and like listening to your biome and your energy, your, your blood is like very interesting to me as well. Well, very very stimulating discussion. Um, thank you so much, Eric and Mark, for joining us um, on this uh, Green Tech podcast. Really a pleasure. So much knowledge, so much insight, and a reminder to the, to the audience to focus on plant health. Thank hey. you. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much. Thank you. This is Paprika. Tasty Radio.